genre. Welcome back to Countdown to Infinity, and Avengers initiative. We have here today me, Ray Russo, and I'm here with Chris O'Connor. Excelsior! And Becca Raybergen. What's up? If you heard our pilot, I guess that was episode zero, so that makes us officially episode one. And we're going to be talking about the crazy leap Marvel took in 2008. Ten years ago. In putting out Iron Man. Who is Iron Man, anyway? I've never heard of this You've guy You've never before. heard of him? No. <laughs> Neither had anybody else at the time. Ten years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. So I saw this movie with a bunch of my college friends, and they were all into comics. I wasn't really into comics at this point, but I wanted to be social, so I went with them. And I remember seeing the trailer for this movie, and it focused so heavily on the guy in the cave in the Middle East escaping <laughs> from the cave. Which, as I'm sitting in the theater... Happens about 30 minutes into the movie, if that. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there going, as he's getting rescued, I'm like, well, well there's, there's another hour, at least. <laughs> What's going to happen in the rest of this film? Oh, my goodness. Surprise movie. I think my first exposure to Iron Man as a character was in, I feel like, the Spider-Man cartoons. I remember seeing him in cartoons when I was little and being like, oh, it's that dude in a suit. And there's a thing on his chest that's keeping him alive. And that's all I knew about him. I don't think... I know he had a show, like, on Fox Kids, like, around the same time as X-Men yeah. and Spider-Man. But I know it was far less popular. I don't know how long it ran. Um, and I I don't think I ever caught a single episode. But I think I did see Iron Man, like, pop up on the Spider-Man show, like, once or twice. Yeah. Or maybe misremembering. Maybe I did see an episode of the Iron Man cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact about the Iron Man cartoon, the uh, theme song for that is the ringtone that we hear whenever, uh, like, when Tony calls Rhodey in this film. That's so cute. Isn't that cute? No, there's a lot of really good Easter eggs in this film, and I'll talk about a a bunch of them later. This movie was a really big risk. Not only, they really, they set the stage. They knew they wanted to do this whole Avengers thing, and this movie was the start of it. And I guess sort of in the same vein of these really big risks, Robert Downey Jr. was persona non grata in Hollywood at this time. Oh, yeah. As far as my recollection goes, he's like the last celebrity whose drug addiction really caught up with him and had serious consequences. And that's actually why Jon Favreau kind of looked to him because he he knew that Mm. Downey Jr. was a fan of the character and that also he thought that his past would play a role big role in how he portrayed the character very well inform his performance i mean you really look at it and sometimes you go where does robert downey jr end and tony stark begin (laughs) nowhere they are the same robert downey jr so he 
He went to prison in the mid nineties, yeah, or the late nineties during Ally McBeal. Like, wh- That's about all <laughs> I mean, I know. Was, I think like the m- biggest thing he he had done up to Iron Man after like that, you know, real life drama yeah. was um oh the Shane Black movie with yep. Val Kilmer. Oh, um, yeah, 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 kiss kiss bang bang, excellent. Excellent movie if you've never seen it. It's a really great modern noir uh, by Shane Black, the guy who did uh, The Last Boy Scout and I think wrote Die Hard. And then he came on to do, didn't he do Iron Man 3? He yeah. did. He did do Iron Man 3. He did yep. Iron Man 3, which I suppose we'll talk more about Shane Black then. But yeah, so Robert Downey Jr. had kind of like, you know, after after his stint in the, in, in the, in the clink, um, you know, when he came out, it was hard for him to find work. He had found some some good work. Like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is again great. Watch it if you haven't. I'm sure I'll talk about it more when we do Iron Man three. But yeah, like uh, it was a big risk for for Kevin Feige and for Jean Favreau and and for Marvel to to go all in on him. I think I remember reading something at the time about like you know the insurance companies mm-hmm. needing extra money uh, to make sure that this would go through. They probably wanted some sort of like performance bond or something like yeah. that on him. Yeah, on the on on account of the potential for relapse, which is a serious concern. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I I remember hearing about who was it that was because somebody was pushing for. I could swear there was a lot of uh, press about them wanting to get Tom Cruise to do it. That would not surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. I know that Sam Rockwell was up for the part initially, but they ended up having him come back uh, for Justin Hammer in Iron Man Two. So we'll. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that a little bit. Ah, oh. uh, Sam Rockwell. Baby Sam Rockwell from the TM. He was in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in 1990. Uh, well, I, I'll talk about that in Iron Man 2. Jeez. <laughs> uh, baby Sam Rockwell. The movie is very, very steeped in the you know politics of what was going on in the late 2000s. But this was kind of a reboot on Tony's origin story, which... Uh, the origin of Iron Man is very much a capitalism versus communism story. Going back to, you know, when Stanley created the character, he, he knew kind of his reader base are very like liberal hippie, liberal hippie people, which that was the demographic. That was the demographic. And also just sort of the theme of comics in general. Like if you look back, Comics have always sort of been oriented towards uh, social justice, doing what's right, standing up for what's good. The outsider. So whenever people say like, yeah, get get politics out of comics, I'm like, have you ever read a comic? Do you know what comics are for? They belong in comics. Uh, Superman was political. Captain America was political. Everybody was oh, political. Captain America was made to punch Nazis. When Nick Spencer came out saying like, oh, you shouldn't punch Nazis. I'm like, you shouldn't be writing Captain America. (laughs) Spoiler alert. This will not be a Nazi cap podcast. (laughs) No, that's we're never going to. What? Nazi (laughs) Nazi cap? Although, you know, we'll talk about that later. But no, I mean, we'll talk about how crap that is at another point yeah. for for Captain America the first avenger. Right. Anyway, yes. there was like a really great like thing on the history channel like when it was either when X-Men first came out or Spider-Man first came out where they did a lot of talk about Marvel comics and like there was a whole big section in there about like how the Hulk and the Fantastic 4 and Spider-Man were all like sort of countercultural heroes and like and Stanley was doing like these big interviews where he's like oh yeah we were writing for hippies and you know that was it was definitely what we were doing they were our people. <laughs> yeah. So that's why Iron Man is it was sort of like an intellectual exercise for him which was like how can I take a war profiteer Someone who my audience is bound to hate 
and make him likable. And so it was, I believe it was set in China is where he was captured. Um, Nam, I think. Nam? Yeah, it was Vietnam. Okay. But it was very steeped in that time. And so when it came time to make this movie, that's no longer relevant. So they had to bring it up to our like war in the Middle East culture. Yeah. Is it a year in America? Of course there's a war. <laughs> it's like, gee, that, that wasn't a stretch. We just had to change the country. It's pretty easy. There had been a comic book run that really did the updating in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. um, which is the arc that Extremis came from. Yep. Written by Warren Ellis. Yes. For whom President Ellis is named, but that, again, is part of Iron Man 3. Yes. Kind of great that Extremis becomes, you know, Iron Man 3's yeah. thing as well. You know, this movie really, it starts off just blaring back in black. And it really sets the tone for this kind of like hard rock vibe that Tony carries with him of sort of like, he he thinks he's a rock star. He feels like a rock star. Um, If it has my name on it, it's going to be loud and it's going to be about me. And it's probably going to come with a free bar if you spend more than $500 million. So. (laughs) Yeah. Rich, rich guys that put their names on everything. They, yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it immediately comes to bite him in the ass. Yeah. Very quickly. Because there he is. The middle of a firefight that has broken out, and a missile lands directly next to him with his name emblazoned on it. It's like you can't get more anvil droppy. Yeah. That bullet's got your name on it, buddy. <laughs> Symbolism there. That's what happens in the fun V, guys. <laughs> next time you ride in the humdrum V. Yeah, and those poor those poor guys in the fun <laughs> V, they, uh, uh, every yeah. one of them, I just felt so bad. I know. Like, you know, the, the driver, she pops out and dies first. And then, you know, the guy who, like, took the picture, he goes out and he gets splattered. And the guy who was there right next to him, he goes out. And then there's just a spray of shrapnel. And I'm just like, no, they're all dead. This is terrible. And then he gets out of the vehicle and tries to call someone on his phone. His really interesting sort of flippy-outy Verizon T-phone thing? Maybe. I I mean, I think it looked really high-tech for the day. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, you know. uh, Because I think this was like pre-iPhone. I think it was just when the iPhone was going to come out. Like 2008, like we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of the iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Was yeah, that 2007 or 2008? That's pretty much why they the had the iPhone X. X. Yeah. Which, the iPhone 10, but I, no, I can't. You can't. <laughs> I can't <laughs> I'm going to call it the yeah. Um But then we sort of start to get exactly what the heart of the movie is about. Because we flash back 36 hours, 72 hours, something like, something like and you, that. And you get to we see go back a, couple a day days. and a half in the life of Tony Stark. day and a half in the half of Tony Stark. He's supposed to be honored with an award. Yeah. But he is off. Drinking and gambling and being incredibly inappropriate with women. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and giving yeah, away trophies. Yeah. He's, and he's all a really that charming stuff. guy. Yeah. So classy. You're just sitting there and you're like, oh God. I see what your arc has oh. to be. Yeah, he's he's gotta he's gotta come back, you know, the prodigal like the bit in where they're trying to honor him. You know, the, the narrating voice over there where it's mm-hmm. got like, you know, like yeah. the, the article, you know, the magazine covers and they talk about, you know, his, his dad, you know, before he got recast, um, before John Slattery replaced his dad. <laughs> anyway, that guy who yep. died, mm-hmm. they go, he went off to MIT and then the prodigal son returns. And it's just like, yeah, yeah he needs to, to come back and, and sort of get his act together and, 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 uh, be the man he's supposed to be. That's pretty much what, like, the whole thing of this movie about is, like, who is Tony Stark supposed to be? And you get that 
you have the scene of like what the world thinks he is in the flashbacks you get very intimate scenes between him and pepper like pepper is such a wonderful character and gwyneth paltrow and robert Downey jr just play off of each other so well um no a lot of this film was didn't necessarily have a script to it they just kind of were like okay here's your scene Gwen and Robert, do your thing. You gotta hit these points, but everything else is up to you. <laughs> and it really flows, and it comes, like... Hmm. They just... There's a natural chemistry yeah. between the two of them. I'm wondering if this is too early to bring this up, but, like... Pepper saves the day. Yeah. That's, like, a full stop. Tony was never going to be able to defeat Obadiah at the end of this movie. To defeat Warmonger without Pepper. Ironmonger. Ironmonger? Ironmonger. Ironmonger. Ironmonger, Warmonger, they all kind of bleed together. They're, yeah. I I smushed it up with War Machine, but... How dare you? I know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. War Machine, Ironmonger, Iron Machine, Ironing Machine. That'd be a great Tony Stark villain. He just does the, he presses all the pants. I'm gonna press your pants to (laughs) death, Stark. (laughs) (laughs) Prepare to be steamed. While you're in them. (laughs) (laughs) so they have that encounter when they're dancing where she says i don't think you'd be able to tie your shoes without me and grills him on his social security (laughs) number and he says five yes and it's a very endearing scene because it just really brings out this like level of understanding and care that they have for each other and it also hits that awkward, like, oops, no, maybe romance, what? Ew, no. <laughs> because they're just not there. I like that they didn't get together yeah. officially in the first movie. In fact, they didn't even really get together till the end of the, the very second. end. And I remember, like, having known nothing. I walked out of this movie really appreciating the fact that, like, there was sweet romantic elements to it, but that wasn't Pepper's mm-hmm. purpose. And I think so early in the MCU seeing a female character treated with such respect, even if they had her slut-shaming Christine Everhart at the beginning of the movie, yeah. which was yeah. kind I mean, of a cringy thing. Part of thing. that was, uh, was, was also to kind of like set up that, that she, I mean, she doesn't like his, his uh, cast officers conquest. He doesn't like any of them because in part, well, I mean, in part because she does have that close connection with him and she's and she while she doesn't like let it consume her, it does occasionally come out in like small, yeah. petty, you know. Things. I mean, I don't think they ever say. And, you know, people are allowed that 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 level of, of yeah. humanity. It's just like it's, it's just the way in which the taking out the trash line specifically kind of. Mm. But I think it's kind of made up for the fact that Christine Everhart doesn't go away. Like she continues to be a persistent yeah. presence in the film so she's less of a like one-off line yeah um so let's talk about obadiah a little bit (laughs) since we already brought up (laughs) well so part of iron man's uh origin story is the mandarin which they favreau obviously said up front i'm not going to do the mandarin for this one because it's not right and they saved him obviously for iron man 3 and they did a good job with that but they played with the idea of just the blanket, you know, Middle Eastern terrorist style villain 
And they they played with that pretty well as far as, you know, bringing in Obadiah to, you know, be exactly be like, the actual mastermind. But it was a red herring. It, the problem is not necessarily scary people in the Middle East, mm-hmm. but what America is doing over there, interfering and making things yeah. worse. Like we are providing fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a pretty strong stance to take. Yeah. For, Saying- you know, an action, like a action film that they Yeah, were, it was basically saying we're both sides of the war on terror. So Yeah. And I think they you know, that's something that continues as a through line. You know, making your own enemies is something that comes up a lot. A lot in these movies and how the yeah. mistakes that you make follow you. Yeah, in a lot of especially in like origin story movies, like we haven't seen them in a while because phase one was so many of the origin movies, but so so often uh you know the the villain is a direct result of the rise of the hero and and uh and is uh, yeah. oftentimes like the the opposite of the hero. You know, it's like or, or like they're very sim not the opposite, but like they have a very similar power, but they're the bad guy. You know, like uh, Abomination and Hulk and, mm-hmm. and Iron Monger and Iron Man. Well, not Captain Red Skull. Yeah, yeah. Actually, but that's the other way around. Red Skull came first. But Erskine brought both of them into, into existence. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that is that's a pretty common element. Obadiah actually has one of my favorite Easter eggs. It's, it's a great. I one. love this one. It's so good. Um, when Obadiah comes to visit, he's playing the piano when Tony first comes up from the basement, and the piece that he is playing is a piece by Salieri. And for those of you listening at home, Salieri was Mozart's chief rival. Rival. So if you guys go home and watch Amadeus, yeah. I. Highly suggested. Oh, oh it is a ama- an amazing movie. Although that movie is somewhat unfair to Salieri, like the historical record, like there's, it's not actually like he just knew that Mozart was there, and they were sort of competitive in a professional sense. Yeah, the movie makes a lot of of, of like a single letter that that's in the record. Whatever, Salieri's cool. Mozart's cool. It's all cool. Go watch that movie. <laughs> Go watch the movie, but it's guys. just like it's just really good because that's a point where you still haven't necessarily put together that Obadiah is the villain. Yeah. Like if you're a major film buff, you might have. Do they at some point refer to uh, Tony Stark as like Mozart? Uh, no, like Da Vinci. Da Vinci, yeah. Da Vinci, oh, right. Says, the Da Vinci of our times. Yeah. He says ridiculous. I don't paint. Yeah. 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 There's that. It would have been a little more, the, the Salieri reference would be a little more on the nose if they had called him Mozart. Yeah. 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 Don't think uh, Da Vinci had quite the same rivalry with any anyone in particular. Yeah. Not that I know of. Sorry, my Assassin's Creed knowledge Although- doesn't include that. <laughs> <laughs> Although Da Vinci is like a pretty good analog for, for Tony oh, he Stark. Definitely you know, he definitely uh, He was quite a weapons designer. Yeah. yeah. He, did, he had some interesting ideas. We haven't talked about Rhodey yet. Rhodey is like, oh my god, I love Rhodey so He's much. He's Tony Stark's babysitter, but so much more than that. <laughs> He's his brother in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. Uh, and this, the thing is, I know Terrence Howard was difficult to work with and that he ended up being recast later on. But I love Terrence Howard's Rhodey. Visually, I feel like he suits the image of the military man so much more than Don Cheadle does. It's the hair. But just like his, he's got the jaw, he's got the mm-hmm. shoulders, and let's face it, 
Carol Danvers would not be climbing Don Cheadle like a train. <laughs> no, she would not. <laughs> oh. Well, that's an interesting thing to know, says the guy who hasn't read Captain Marvel yet. Yeah. You she, need to uh, get on that, my friend. I suppose I do need to get on that, but I've got like a year before I need to get on that, right? <laughs> I know, but, but Kelly Sue DeConnick, she's so Just great. do it. It's so easy to read through. One of the things I caught when I was watching this film, when Rhodey and Tony are traveling for the weapons demonstration Mm -hmm. and they're drinking together, Rhodey starts talking about how being in the military makes him feel and the connection that he feels. And he specifically says, everyone who's got this uniform, everyone who's wearing this uniform has got my back. Yeah. And I find that really interesting because while Terrence Howard never gets in the suit in this film, Don Cheadle does suit up in the next one. So ultimately, it does. It puts them yeah. in the same uniform, the same uniform. on the same team, um, and having each other's back. Uh, the other thing that I really like about Rhodey, oh, having his oh. back, back reference. Ugh. Anyway, oh, 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 I missed that. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Somebody's got his back. <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah, but like their their flight is just the most amusing thing. Like it just they get on the private plane. And he's like, "It's my plane. That'll they'll, they'll wait for me." And like Rhodey's there waiting for him, and the stewardesses and the hot sake. And he's like, "I'm not gonna drink." And then there's a pole in the middle of the plane, oh. and they're having a party, and they're drunk. And I'm like, "But there's just like the three stewardesses and the two of them." And I'm like, "This is a long flight to Afghanistan, right? It's like it's like over twelve yeah. hours." Yeah. How- so here's the thing. As much as Rhodey is of great influence on Tony. He's not impervious. Tony is a horrible influence back. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I love seeing friendships that I, are I like I can that. imagine, it's like, really- the biggest regrets and, like, the biggest, like, you know, sort of bad mistakes that Rhodey's made in his life are a direct result <laughs> of Tony's influence. Absolutely. But one of the f- things that I really love that I think just kind of tells you how much Rhodey understands Tony and how... Tony thinks is the moment when he finds him in the desert. He's not fussing over him. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't, you know, act worried. He just goes, how was the fun V? And then I start crying. Cause that's what Tony needs. <laughs> Tony, you know, he doesn't want to be seen as a victim. Like I said, he, he's got, he's got his internal rock star yep. image. Yeah. And I think, you know, Rhodey letting him have his dignity and just trying to play it off. Everything's normal. You're coming it's, home. It's very important to his recovery. Yeah. And I think uh, Pepper gets it too. And when so, she's like, I hate, I hate job hunting. <laughs> and that's also why they don't force him to go to the hospital and then why they let him make the somewhat stupid decision to have that press conference when he yeah. gets home. They're let, they're giving him control back over his yeah. life. Yeah. And that press conference also introduces, introduces us to, one Mr. Agent Coulson! Oh my god, the guy who shouldn't have been showing up over and over again, but somehow magically did. And he's the only oh. guy who ever says the full title for S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> Is he the only one that ever he's says it? He's the only one who ever says it. Strategic Homeland Intervention and Logistics in- Division. Intervention, intervention enforcement, enforcement. Oh, yeah. Intervention enforcement. We, yeah, okay. see, it was espionage in the comics and like the. F- okay, it used yeah. to see be. See how good we can uh, spell, you guys? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's a 
an E in there. What's the E? It sounds like they really wanted a, a name to spell shield. <laughs> yeah, it could have been S-H-E-E-L-D. Jeez. It's an acronym, guys. Ugh. Could have done anything to spell shield. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he's like such a he's such mm-hmm. an odd, odd little character. Because like, um... When they call, I, I, I've heard, you know, like interviews where Clark Gregg has been like, you know, they, yep. I came in for this little pit bit and, and like he had like one or two scenes and it, it just kept, it kept going well. And they're like, let's put him in a little more. Let's put him in a little more. And, and then by the end, they're like, that was great, man. Good job. Good job. Good job. And he was like, you know, he thought that that was it. He's like, I'm done. Okay. Bye. But then they're like, hey, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. You want to, you want to come back and do it again? You wanna, you I think one of my favorite things with Coulson and, and Iron Man is um, at, towards the end when he puts the explosive device on the door and then they all turn around and back away. Like they're all facing away from the door and Coulson just kind of like folds his arms uncomfortably over his <laughs> chest. And it's just this adorable little hunch He's like, that I've he done this so many times that it's just. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he is the dad is. of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Explosive dad, he as, is, as he deserves to be. Yeah, he really like. <laughs> it really is, and and definitely in Agents of Shield, he is he is full super dad. <laughs> yeah, I got him to. I, he retweeted a picture of my uh, my jujitsu mm-hmm. gi. I have a uh, my Brazilian jujitsu gi. I got oh, like wow. a giant awesome. uh, shield, like the new shield logo, <sighs> like it's a twelve inch patch, and I put it on the back and I tweeted it at him, and he's like, "This is amazing." He's such a cool dude. Yeah, I got like really excited when I found out that he did uh, BJJ, and in the same vein that I got really excited when I found out that Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction do Taekwondo Woo-hoo! with yeah, their kids. It gives you connections to them. Yep, yep. It's a it's a different style of Taekwondo than my style of Taekwondo, but, but you, you like know, her. Anyway. I like her anyways. <laughs> you can still be friends. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony's first flight. Well, not so not his first flight. So not the Mark II, but the Mark III. His first, uh, when he goes to Golmira and and blows up all of the Ten Rings stuff. Right, right, right. Um, and specifically him coming back and having to call Rhodey because... It's me in the thing. Don't kill me. It's me in the thing. Don't kill me. me. <laughs> yeah, that, I always, I always really enjoy that because, you know, again, it's just Tony and Rhodey and Rhodey and Tony. <laughs> what it comes down to actually um thank you for bringing up Golmira because we haven't talked about Yinsen yet <laughs> which I am amazed that Aww. we've gotten like quite a bit of talking done and we haven't brought him up yeah mm-hmm. we mentioned that like you know at the beginning of this cast we mentioned that oh the trailer was like nothing but the first like third of the movie and then it ended like 30 minutes in and you're like oh whole other movie's coming and then we didn't even talk about what happened in the cave with Oops. the box of scraps Oh my god. <laughs> Oops. Oops. <sighs> In fact, I don't even think we find out Yinsen's name until fairly close to the end because Tony doesn't even bother asking he him. Says, what do I call Until like you? a couple of days in. He's yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, when he starts helping him out with like building the thing, he's like, yeah. okay, I'll build a Jericho missile for you guys. And it's just like, what do I call you, by the way? I, you know, this guy that saved his life and has been translating for him for like the past day it, or so. Yeah. It's been many hours. And then it's, he's like, I think, oh, I should call you something other than, hey, guy. I think <laughs> I think that that exchange is when Yinsen is heating the metal 
to to pour in and, and fabricate the the part for the um arc reactor the core for the arc reactor. I think as he's bringing that that hot mm. that hot molten metal over he says what do I call you and he goes Jensen I think I don't know we only watched it yesterday mm. <laughs> I know it's not like it's fresh in my brain or anything ah the arc reactor science and then just it's such a heartbreaking scene because he tries to get Tony talking. Oh, do you have a family? Yeah. Like, They're playing backgammon. Who even knows how to play backgammon? Uh, it's really easy. I, I um, don't know. I mean, it's just not something you really learn nowadays. Unless you're in a cave. They could have been playing cribbage. <laughs> I know how to play cribbage. If I remember correct, because I think, I, I think uh, an uncle taught me to play it when I was little. And it's like really, maybe there's like a children's version or something. But it's like you just roll the dice and you move your pieces like in a stack. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's it. It's like super simple, like checkers. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but so it, it's sort of his conversations with, uh, Jensen that really kind of opened Tony up to the notion that, you know, mm-hmm. for someone who is so wealthy and so many people know his name and who he is and are scrambling for his attention and his money. And it's like, what does he have? It's like, when you're gone, what are you going to leave yeah, in this exactly. world? And that really becomes Tony's driving force. Yeah, his legacy. It's a big theme in Iron Man 2, yeah. is legacy. Mm-hmm. That's like the driving thing. Like, they say legacy almost as much as Hamilton <laughs> does. But but that's set up in Iron Man in the first Iron Man because you know he realizes oh there's people on the other end of these weapons that I'm creating and, yeah you know and one of the things I really like um, you know after Yinsen dies and he goes back and he finds out that Gomera has been attacked that drives him to go like he knows mm-hmm. that that's where Yinsen's from that he has connections there and that he wants to go and do something good. But my favorite part of it is... He leaves the guys for the townspeople. He doesn't finish it off. Yeah. And that's one of the things that like really appreciated me mm-hmm. of like... It was sort of, yes, he's coming in to like, meddle and rescue, but he's going to leave it up to them what the punishment should be. He brought him down. He laid him out. But he's not making the final call. Yeah. And I really like that just in, in like a geopolitical... Yeah. It still leaves them some agency. They're not just like, I don't know, blank villagers who are going to swoon after Iron yeah. Man. <laughs> Which, that's a theme that comes up, you know, later in Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. You know, the resistance of people that are supposedly being saved. and like Yeah, because sometimes it doesn't feel like you really are being saved when you're when you're when people coming are, in and blowing up your shit. Yeah. <laughs> If we're uh, getting to the end, we might as well talk about the actual end. Yeah, and and the uh, the beginning of the long trend of the uh, kind of underwhelming Marvel villain problem. The main villain is just not as compelling as uh, as the hero. And I mean, you know that that kind of makes sense. Most of the time, villains aren't that compelling. I mean, if you look at most action movies, uh, especially like look at the, if you look at the nineties, like you could take random Eastern European guy, slap a cheap suit and some sunglasses on him. And he's the same villain for 200 films. But at the same time, it's like, when we're talking about comic books and like, you know, the, the rogues gallery that heroes can have, there's just an expectation that the villain should be more, should be more interesting, more compelling. 
And I mean, I don't know, you know, Ironmonger from the comics. I know like my experience with with Iron Man and Tony Stark before uh, this movie was basically uh, Mm -hmm. the ultimate run like that. That was all I had for him. And that was really good. But come to think of it in that, like Ultimates and Ultimates 2, I don't think there wasn't really like a classic Iron Man villain in there that that, that they were facing off against. And so I didn't really know anything about Iron Monger. I mean, probably the most classic is the Mandarin. Right. Yeah. That one. That one's uh... the only one that I actually like not even um, I, I don't think the Mandarin was in the Ultimates, was he? Like, he, he doesn't show up. I don't think so. Probably not. Yeah, he doesn't show up there. But I was aware of the Mandarin, like, as a kid. Like, uh, it was just something that I saw, yeah. like, somewhere. Like, Ironmonger, um, this, uh, he's got a bigger suit. Big suit. Rawr. Yeah. My suit is like your suit, but bigger. <laughs> big, because everything big is better, America. <laughs> because I am old, so I must have a giant suit to uh, make up Compensate. for Compensate. Give me my big suit. <laughs> And my little blue pill. And um, <laughs> I do love the bit where, where he's like, oh, he's like, what do you mean you can't build this? Tony Stark built this in a cave. I have a box of scraps. Like that, that class, that meme. I remember that like from a decade ago, like that just was everybody was like, he built this in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> and you could just apply that to so many things. And it was so much fun. Like that was kind of a good moment for him. That was like his best moment. Obviously, that was like a, a memeable moment. But it wasn't like he just wasn't that compelling. He's like, I'm going to take over the company. You suck and you've got everything handed to you. Obviously, he doesn't have everything handed to him. He was able to build an incredible exoskeletal weapon system in a cave out of a box of scraps. I mean, he deserves to be there. I'm sorry, old guy. I think that actually says something really interesting that scene about Obadiah is that he doesn't take the initiative to make any of these things himself that he cannot do it he right. all he can do is try to get other people to do it mm-hmm. for him and you know tony makes and tony does mm-hmm. and that's and as far as you know obadiah having to sit back and watch tony take over this thing that he's been a part of since probably i don't know howard right and but he had to sit there and watch howard be yeah. miles smarter than him and he now has to deal with this kid who's a little miles brat. smarter than yeah. him so and and while while he's you know while he's not able to contribute technically i'm sure he was a capable yeah. businessman yeah. he's a smart guy he's not right. an idiot no. and and it probably you know it probably did like eat at him that you know he he took over the company when his friend died because uh, if I remember correctly, he wasn't in any way involved in like the the Winter Soldier plan to kill um, no. the dad, right? That was just that was completely separate. I mean, it? as far as I know, who knows? Although I think I've seen people uh, debate it online. Yeah, he never said anything in the film to be like, "And I killed your father." <laughs> no, no, there's nothing like that. Yeah. So there was, you know, there was a sense of like he he would have run the company for like at least a decade mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. ran it well. And then, you know, as you saw in, in the, the, the presentation honoring Tony, it's like he comes back from MIT and it's like, OK, you're in charge of the company now. It's like mm, that, that'll it. Speaking from personal experience, uh, the older professional, you know, in the office does not necessarily appreciate having someone younger yeah, put in charge yeah. of them. Regardless of talent. It can it can eat at you. Not necessarily that it would make a normal person <laughs> go out and build a giant robo death suit, but yep. you know, there's drama in offices. Sometimes people will steal people's lunch from the refrigerator, or you know, your your uh, 
brother might be a psychopath who made his wife disappear and definitely killed one other person. And that's villainous. Probably killed another and then confessed to it on TV. Yeah. <laughs> that's your workplace drama. It is my workplace drama. This is completely unrelated to the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, where were we? Okay, so yeah, he was kind of an underwhelming villain. It's just like, I'm an angry old man, and I got a big suit to squish this younger man. And then Pepper blew him up. Yeah, and then Pepper blew But what was his, uh, like, because he was like, I'm just going to be in charge of the company. We're going to keep making weapons. Like, you blew it, like, with your, we're not yeah. making weapons anymore. Yeah. He's like, there's always going to be weapons. He just wanted the money. Presumably, his personal portfolio took a, a really sharp hit on uh, on Tony's uh, press conference where he's like, no more weapons. Yeah, they said something about, like, their stock dipping 56 points. Yeah. But then he also sees, Ooh. like, Tony's got this perfect bye, thing, bye, bye, this bye, bye, perfect bye, bye, bye. solution. He's got this suit and that this- That would be a perfect weapon. Right. So we need the plans. <laughs> we need to make more of those miniature arc reactors, and we need to mass produce this thing, yeah. and we'll make money again. And Obadiah's like, yeah, no. <laughs> it was like a hilarious point in the movie where where Tony's like, we're not making weapons anymore, except yeah. for the ones I make in my garage that are basically turning me into a human, you know, war machine god. Mm-hmm. Well, he does deny that it's a weapon as late as Iron Man 2, so. He's playing with words. Well, he's denying it. Don't at me. It's a weapon. It is. It is completely a weapon. But he's even lying it to... Yeah, the, yeah. the repulsor thing. That's, that's totally just for flying. That that's, yep. a, that's all that is. Well, so that well, big final battle between yeah. Iron Man and Iron Monger, it also one of the tiny Easter eggs that's introduced. You see, I think, in a, a building or a it's shipping a, container. It's a warehouse. It's a it's, warehouse that has the rocks on. Yeah. Logo. And that, and that appears again in definitely <laughs> Iron Man 3. I don't remember if it's in Iron Man 2. It's in Iron Man 3. They might reference it and... Um, not, I don't think it, the connections ever made in the MCU, but in the comics, mm-hmm. Roxxon is linked to Hydra. Yeah, so. everything's linked to Hydra. So it's a little fun Easter egg. Uh, hey, do you, do you th- do you think Obadiah Stane was a member of Hydra? Would he have Would he have like uh, you know in Civil War? Would he have had the little pin and be like, "Hail Hydra, buddy"? I I definitely think I, so. I w- I wouldn't put it past him, especially him. given his position with how next to Howard Stark. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Maybe he was right? involved. Because oh. I definitely... That's that why jerk. it's so easy to make the can you, argument. Can you imagine him going to Pierce and being mm-hmm. like, we got to get rid of this guy? Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Get your big... Get, get that thing out of cryo. Yeah. Ooh, you joke this. It's so easy to make that jump. Even if it's not stated in the movies, it's so easy to It's an to easy connection. It. Like, they would have met at some sort of, like, defense contract or something or other and be like, you know, Tony, you know, Howard's being something of a problem. <laughs> we can make. And also, it it would make sense with why, like, not only his personal portfolio taking a hit with stopping manufacturing weapons, it, it would be detrimental to Hydra's interests yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hydra wants more weapons in the world. So apparently we're going to be talking about Hydra in every single episode of this podcast. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. In every in every movie, we need to be like, there, here's Hydra. Oh, man. Because like, um, even at the, is it at the end of this one or is it in the next one where uh, Gary Shandling is the senator? It's, it's, it's the next one. And so the next Hydra one. shows up in the second one for crying out loud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Hey, guys, just, just in case you needed to know, Hydra is Nazis uh. and- there is nothing that will ever convince anyone else otherwise. Hydra is Nazis. Ugh. 
Even their silly double fist yeah. salute. It's like, no, stop it. You're Nazis. You're embarrassing yourselves. Hell, I can even make the Hydra connection for Hulk. Incredible Hulk in the next movie. Oh, I can. Yeah. Let's hold on we'll to that. Definitely mm-hmm. hold it. But so um, since uh, oh, yeah. we're getting to talking about Hulk, let's wrap up with the his his uh, press conference, like, you know, the ending press conference where he does the where he just comes out and says, I am Iron Man. Yeah. He is incapable. That is so good. He's incapable of humility. It's <laughs> so good. Like everybody, everybody's like, oh, are you the Iron Man? Do you know anything about this Iron Man? Blah, blah, and blah, Coulson blah, blah. had prepared this great excuse, which was right out of the comics yeah. of I have a bodyguard. Dad did his homework for him. And it's one of those things where it's like every other superhero, like, you know, if you watch if you, if up until this point you've been watching all the other superhero movies, like uh, never mind the X Men, simply because the X Men are who the X Men are, but like Spider Man, Batman, even Superman, even though everybody should be able to just tell that it's him, it's glasses. Like, all these people. other heroes, they cling to their secret identity, like like they're just tied to it and they won't let it go. And there are so many instances in in movies and TV shows and things where holding on to that secret identity creates so much of the drama and mm-hmm. so many of their problems mm-hmm. like spider-man like his, his all of his his worries with mj is because for the longest time she doesn't know that he's spider-man and like it messes up the relationship but but iron man this bit where in public in front of the press he's just like you know what fine i'm iron man there you go i just oh i love that and it specifically comes out of an exchange with christine everhart yeah yep. it's, it's silly to insinuate that i'm some kind of Superhero. And she just goes, I wasn't accusing you of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's like, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been honest with you before. We know each other pretty well. You know. Yeah. There we go. It's like, we we bumped uglies. I think I can tell you. (laughs) You and all of our other friends from the press. We totally missed it talking about that earlier when they did bump uglies. First, I like the the sort of not James Bond music that they had in there. But when they fall off the bed, (laughs) his laugh, his... (laughs) I was just like, no, 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 no. That laugh. There's, that laugh. There's no way that was 100% Robert Downey Jr. That laugh ends things. That is not a good laugh. <laughs> I was just like, oh no. And she's like, oh, it's too late. <laughs> no, she she had her uh, she had her hate boner on. Yes, she did. <laughs> That's what it was. Oh, and then the laugh would have helped with that. It's just like, oh, he laughs like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. I... <laughs> So yeah, the press conference credits, and they finally play. I played that in my high school rock band for a battle of the bands. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> it was awesome. Ah, it was also the perfect like way to use that song. Yes. Oh yeah, you, it had to be used. You, so you can't good. use it at the beginning. You can't use it at the middle. You have to use it after he says the words. I am Iron Man. I am Iron Man. Ah, so good. <laughs> I love it. Yep. And then, like, you know, they did the thing that, you know, has tricked audience. Well, not tricked, but I don't know if before before the MCU, I don't know if I ever sat down to, to watch an entire credit sequence. No, I, I, I usually stayed it. through, like, until I could see to a certain point in the, like, cast. When like, it starts, who like, was this guy? Because, like, yeah, yeah, that was also, uh, that was a thing, though. I got into the habit of staying at least for most of the cast because this they were fun. Yeah. 
A, they were fun, but B, you know, in the days before IMDb and smartphones, oh, yeah. you would be going like, wait. Who was that guy? I thought I recognized that guy. Yeah. I have a funny story about that in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, but we'll deal with that later. I mean, there was like a year where I worked at a movie theater and like the only thing that I'd ever seen like post-credits, like before that, well, I suppose there was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but everybody saw that, whatever, just on TV. But The Sixth Sense I, I remember I was working in the theater like at the, in the, for the sixth sense. And then, you know, like when, when the theaters like get the film, they have to play it once to make sure that everything's fine. Like I was the, I was the mm-hmm. test guy for that. So I sat in the theater like at one in the morning watching the sixth sense by myself with all the lights off. Oh. And then I have to watch it all the way through to the end of the credits. And there's like a little bit at the very end of the credits where they replay like the, you know, the like the save me in Spanish. And I just I nearly like exploded. I was just like, <laughs> It was so terrible. Anyway, so yeah, but Marvel with their end credit sting, the thing that they have kept going through all of their movies, which is so great. Oh, I love it. But it's changed through the movies. So the for phase one, it was always like something new, something a real teaser for the next movie, yeah. right? And then I noticed with the last couple in phase three that it's just been straight out of the next movie. They just lifted something and put it and used that. Yeah. Mm. I've only really noticed that like maybe twice true, though. True. With the last couple of phase three movies. Anyway. Yeah. Cause they did that in Ant-Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They learned something from Civil and War. And then um, Doctor Strange. And then a Doctor Strange. Yeah. yeah. I think for for the last, I just listened to uh, the Empire Film podcast. Like they do a great like uh, spoiler mm-hmm. special on movies, and you know they talked to Taika Waititi for Thor Ragnarok for like an hour, hour and a half. It was crazy. Uh, awesome. But I think I think he shot the 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 trailer staying on Thor Ragnarok. I mean, I suppose we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Well, yep. a lot of weeks, yeah. a oh. couple months actually. Before we wrap. We got to talk about this in all of them. Stan Lee oh, yeah. was Hugh Hefner in this one at the Disney Gala event. Was he supposed to be Hugh Hefner or is he supposed to be yeah. Stan yeah. and like, and, and he just confuses him. Like, does it credit him as Hugh Hefner? Yeah. He's credited as Hugh Hefner. <laughs> they do actually look kind of alike. And he's credited as Larry King in Iron Man 2. If you put them next to each other, you would never be like, oh, these are the same guy. But as they got old, like they kind of had like a similar old dude look. He he was know. wearing the red coat. Yeah. That, he was wearing the red like smoking jacket. That was Hugh Hefner's jacket. Yeah. 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 So then you're at the point where we've had our music blaring, we've had our credits, and then Tony Stark <laughs> comes home to find an intruder in his apartment. Yep. It was like, oh, man. And it's this guy in a trench coat with an eye patch. Oh, so good. And everyone in the audience shrieked because it was official. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. The thing that was so great about it being Samuel L. Jackson is that when the Ultimates comics were made, you know, in the 2000s, that was Marvel's sort of like pitch for movies. They made it like grittier and glossier Mm -hmm. and they used Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. I remember reading uh, an interview where Samuel L. Jackson said he had picked up one of them. He's like, oh, my God, that's me. And he was like really happy, <laughs> not even like on a narcissistic level, but on a, a like a race level to see a black Nick Fury was, was a big deal. Yeah. And I mean, you can't and when you anybody see, better he's, than he's Samuel such L. Jackson. A great yeah, Nick Fury. he's done a great job with it. I really loved uh, I, I love Nick Fury and in, in, in the ultimate, you know, that whole line and how he shows up in so many things there. And I remember, yeah, I remember like before this movie, like even before, like back in the early aughts, like when I was first reading the ultimate stuff, like you know, it was like an ultimate Spider-Man and ultimate X-Men. 
Uh, he would like cameo in there, but like, you know, Nick, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, like, like they acknowledged like right away, they're like, yeah, we base it off of him and Sam, Sam's cool with it. And it's great. And so when it came along and like, you know, you heard that they're gonna sort of start tying these things together and like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson has something to do. It's like, <gasps> Nick Fury. It's like, this, it's so good. And then he signed a nine film deal. <laughs> yeah. Nick Fury is uh, an interesting, interesting character. He's the spy. He His secrets have secrets. Spoilers for Avengers. But yeah, this credit sting where he's waiting on, on Tony Stark, it was such a great moment because it, it like the movie on its own was excellent and it was a great standalone film. It could have stood, you know, the test of time and mm-hmm. been its own thing. Like if the MCU hadn't panned out, it's like, fine, this thing was in the credits. It's like not a thing you need to worry about. It would be something that we would all be talking about, you know, years later, be like, oh, what a shame that never materialized. But, but it did. But it did. Oh, it's just, I'm so it just happy it did. really kind of puts a nice mm. bow on everything at the very end yeah. to be just like, here we go, guys. This, this is a crazy adventure we're starting. We know what we're doing and we're going to make it happen. And this is this is what's going on. No, no more. Uh, no more playing around. No more of this, uh, you know, crazy disconnected thing where like Daredevil and Spider-Man don't wait. Well, they still don't know each other, but you know uh, what I mean. And now, 10 years later, here we are. Here we are. Rambling about it. <laughs> Podcasting about it. All right. So uh, just slightly over a month after Iron Man hit theaters came The Incredible Hulk. So I guess Starring we we're going to- Edward R. Norton. His middle initial is R? Oh, yeah. Cool. Surprise, the more you know. So if you want to hear hear more facts about Edward R. Norton, uh, tune in for our next episode when we cover The Incredible Hulk. It's going to be great. Oh, wait, I should say it's going to be incredible. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next time. See you next time. Bye bye.